Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Justin Peters. I hope that you and your family are doing well today. I want to thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. So about five weeks ago, I put up a video on my YouTube channel uh, entitled My Thoughts or Reflections on Ukraine. I put it up right as the war there started. And I just talked about some of the people that I met back in 2019, a few years ago, when I was in Ukraine. And I was doing some teaching at the seminary. We actually had a strange fire, uh, Ukraine version, I guess, conference. And um, met some wonderful, wonderful people there in Ukraine. So I shared some of those photographs and some videos from my time there. And uh, since that video was put up, some of you have left comments. A few of you have emailed asking, are there any updates? Have you heard from any of your friends in Ukraine? And uh, I have heard from a couple of them. Uh, Manny, who I mentioned in my previous video, uh, he's a guy who took some of my teaching and translated them into uh, different languages and got them out into uh, Iran, Afghanistan, and Tajikistan. So um, he is out of Ukraine now. He is in Berlin, and I think in the process of trying to come to the United States, he and his family, so they're safe. And uh, But just a couple of days ago, I was able to make content contact with Nikolai Liliovsky, uh, Nick for short. Nick was one of my translators while I was there in Ukraine. One of the best translators I've ever had. And just an outstanding, outstanding young man. Uh, just a, a super, super nice guy. But uh, I was um, able to make contact with him through the help of James White. And so uh, we did an interview together just a couple of days ago. I'm recording this on April the 6th. We did the interview April the 4th. So uh, I'm I'm going to give this to you and let you watch it. I think it will be a great encouragement to you. Uh, I will say that the audio here is kind of low, so you might want to click up your volume um, a few notches there so you can hear it, but uh, I don't think it should be too much of a problem. My audio was louder. His was lower, and so I did my best to try to equalize that. And you'll also notice that for some reason when we did this on Zoom, the Zoom uh, camera it did not record me. It recorded my voice, but not my video. So you'll hear me ask some questions, but you won't see me. But whatever, that's fine. Um, Nick is who I want you to see in here anyway. So um, this will be a, a great encouragement to you. Please, please do pray for Nick and the other brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine who are right now just going through things that um, none of us here and in the West can even imagine, but uh, God is sovereign, and you will see Nick's um, just unshakable faith in God's sovereignty and his goodness, and through the midst of these just unimaginable trials, um, God is using these things for the furtherance of his kingdom and his gospel. So uh, without any further delay, here's Nick. Well, Nick, um, I tell you what, let's, we can go ahead and, and begin. Um, Nick, thank you so much for joining us, brother. And um, I th- take a few minutes just to 
let people know who you are, a little bit about yourself, your family, maybe even if you would like to touch on your testimony a little bit. Sure, sure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, just following your ministry before we met in person. But now that we, night that you've uh, you've come to Ukraine, I think we met when at Shepherd's Conference before you came. Yes, yes. Months before, so uh-huh. so. It's a pleasure to to be with you. Uh, thank you for inviting me. So uh, my name is uh, Nikolai Leliovsky, or Mikola in Ukrainian. Uh, I am 35 years old. I was born and raised in Kiev, Ukraine, uh, and uh, became a Christian when I was 15 years old. I was raised in a non-believing family. Um, I was invited to a, a Christian short-term missions trip summer camp put together by uh, Grace Community Church. Mm. Um, the church that I'm a member of was founded by a missionary from Grace Community Church, uh, along with some Ukrainian um, Ukrainian guys. And so the first year that they started the church, they had uh, a team from John MacArthur's church come during the summer and do uh, English as a second language um, class uh, for two weeks and then a softball camp. And so by God's grace and his providence, I ended up there and I heard the gospel for the first time and God has convicted me of my sin and brought me to repentance. And so in 2002, that happened in 2002. So since then, I've been a part of Grace Bible Church in Kiev, Ukraine, uh, where I now serve. Uh, I, I, on the leadership team, I preach and teach regularly and just try and, and serve in any way that I can. Uh, I'm also a... Um, faculty member at Grace Bible Seminary, uh, a training center of the Master's Academy International. Uh, We've been training uh, pastors for many years to exposit God's word faithfully. So that's also a privilege for me to serve uh, in that capacity. And um, so now, you know, we find ourselves in these difficult circumstances, but God is good. He's in control. Um, we believe in his sovereignty, and this is a great opportunity to practice what we believe. And uh, I've been taking our church through the book of Psalms. And uh, let me tell you, everybody says that the book of Psalms, you know, all these um, emotions that the psalmist is expressing about fear, uh, worry, about the armies invading, uh, being in danger, but trusting God, uh, it, it all is understood completely different now whereas mm-hmm. before you know these these wars and conflicts and enemies and the wicked you know all of these things are kind of like personal conflicts or some kind of emotional turmoil but now you know it's so real as you know we're being invaded and there's explosions heard everywhere and we see see the aftermath of um of these cities that have been decimated so so but it you know god's word is very encouraging and um uh, yeah, God, God is, God is still at work uh, in our hearts and lives, even in these circumstances. So, so yeah. we have much to be thankful for. Wow. Yeah, I guess you know, reading those psalms, it 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 seems kind of uh, you seem kind of I guess detached in a sense because we we haven't been able to relate to being in war, but you're there now. You're in you're in the midst of it. Oh. Yeah, and I think everybody, you know, everybody would say that they love the book of Psalms, and obviously it's very encouraging and very practical, 
to people in all circumstances of life. But to think, you know, that war has been such a such a big part of people's lives for most of human history. And, you know, yeah. I, I never thought that in the 21st century, living in the center of Europe, we would have a war and much less with a nation that is to us like a brotherly nation where we have, you know, similar culture, similar language. Right. And just see this happening. It's just completely, I, I, I think that most people in Ukraine, you know, didn't see this coming and it's still hard to believe. I, I, I talk to people every day who say that it's just hard to believe that all of this is happening. Yeah, I know. It's got to seem so surreal because I, I was watching the news in the, in the days leading up to the, before the war started and life was normal in that you're in Kiev, right? You're, are you in the, in the middle of Kiev right now? Um, so I am in Kiev in the city of Kiev, uh, where, I mean, this is my apartment building, um, okay. in one of my rooms, very traditional Ukrainian background. You know, we have carpets hanging on the walls, but that's a, another story. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, we're in the Northeast corner, Northeast corner. Of northeast. The you okay. can imagine the city of Kiev as a square. Uh, we're in the Northeast, uh, all of the fighting and everything that you hear about Irpin and Bucha. Uh, that's uh, in the northwestern, just outside of the northwestern part of Kiev. So yeah. it's maybe, maybe mm, depending, you know, on how how you count, twenty five to forty miles away from where we are. Right. So and, and in in our, you know, leading up to the war, everything was fine, um, and uh, you know, we stayed here. And by God's grace, we haven't had a lot of, we haven't seen any like fighting you know, uh, going on with our own eyes. There hasn't been any troops entering Kiev, but, you know, there's been a lot of um, uh, rockets fired in Kiev. Several has struck, have several rockets struck, uh, you know, civilian buildings, big apartment complexes, like you yeah. know, when there's thousands of people living in them. So, but but since uh, the withdrawal of the Russian army from from this, at least this part of our country, for the last two days, we haven't heard any explosions or anything like that. Okay. So the last couple of days have been relatively quiet. Yeah. In our, in our part of the country. Yeah. As in far as part. I understand, you know, there, there are peace negotiations and in the last, last few days, uh, the Russian delegation said that they will pull out and will not try to take Kiev at this time. There's not a ceasefire. There's still, you know, war going on in the East and the South. But at least here, uh, in the in, I guess the northern part uh, of the country, there is no, you know, the troops, the Russian troops have withdrawn back to the border. Yeah, yeah. Well, just in the last day or so, the um, the town of Ima- Bucha, am I saying that correct? Bucha? Yes, that is correct, yes. Just horrific, horrific uh, scenes out of Bucha. Um, how... How far is that from you? And do you, do you know any of those folks in Bucha? Uh, well, that's about 30, 30 miles uh, from here. Yeah. I mean, we know Bucha is like a, a suburb of Kiev, basically. Yeah. You know, it's outside of Kiev, it's, but, but a lot of people commute there and things like that. So, um, um, yeah, it seems like it's just war crimes everywhere. You know, there's dead bodies just laying on the streets, mass graves, uh, in many buildings, they go into the basements and they find bodies that have been tied and it seems like they were kept there for days and tortured. And 
Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, it's just inhumane. And it seems like in most cases, it was because they're either trying to rob these people, you know, extort them for money, because there's also footage now that they've seen that these troops that have returned back uh, in, in Belarus, because uh, there's a lot of troops coming from Belarus, um, they are shipping, they, like they go to a UPS or a FedEx, and they ship the things that they stole from Ukraine back home using, you know, their passports and addresses and things wow. like that. So it seems like a lot of it has been motivated by, uh, you know, sordid gain and just uh, trying to rob people, take their money. I'm sure some of it had to do with trying to find out, you know, what the Ukrainian army is doing and things like that. But yeah, they, the aftermath that they left after, I mean, it's just... Uh, unspeakable crimes against humanity war crimes. And I'm sure that's going to be, um, that's going to be something that the international community is going to deal with uh, long after the war is over. Yes. And, uh, trying to bring those people to justice. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I hope they are. And if, if they're not brought to justice in this life, of course, certainly they will be in the next, but uh Yeah. Yeah, but that that you know that's just a small glimpse of what's going on because basically any part of the country that has been invaded by the Russian army uh, is like that. You know, there's yeah. there's civilian atrocities done to civilians in small villages and anywhere. Because as far as I understand, the the people that are fighting on the side of the Russian army, a lot of them um, are either people that are doing it to avoid uh, prison sentences, to avoid conviction, oh. or uh, people who are doing it uh, to to make money, you know, uh, contractors, uh, huh. contractors, contractors and stuff. So, so it seems like you know the it's, there's a lot of inhumane treatment. But at the same time, you know, to be fair, uh, there are, you know, I've spoken to some people who have eyewitness accounts where some Russian troops are trying to help Ukrainians evacuate. You know, they would use their tanks or their armored vehicles to put civilians and they take them to extraction points from, you know, cities that have been surrounded and things like that. So, really? so not, not every single uh, uh, Russian soldier is, you know, uh, a moral, moralist criminal you yeah. know, person. I mean, the, War is ugly, and you know those kinds of war crimes probably happen yeah. anywhere in the world where you have such massive war. But uh, but yeah, I mean Ukrainian people are shocked. They're they're angry. I feel like this will sow discord between the two nations for many generations. And unfortunately, oh, yeah. it has really been dividing the church as well. So you say it's been dividing the church? Yeah, because uh, so basically since two thousand fourteen when uh, Russia annexed Crimea and kind of started this proxy war in the East, uh, there's been a lot of animosity between Russian and Ukrainian Christians all over the world because, you know, there's Russian propaganda and they've been saying that Ukraine is overrun by nationalists, Nazis, you know, and uh, who are, who basically what, what we are seeing in those cities is what Russia has been telling their people for eight years is going on in every city in Ukraine. They 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 are saying that the current regime in Ukraine is 
you know, exterminating its own people based on, you know, what language they're speaking or, or something like that. And so many people in Russia believe that what's happening here now is uh, a just recompense for the atrocities that Ukrainian government has been, you know, perpetrating on their own people. And unfortunately, many Christians are caught up in that. And they believe that, you know, this is God's judgment on the nation. And it's regrettable that some innocent people have to suffer and Christians have to suffer. But, you know, uh, people are getting what they deserve. And and obviously, you know, Ukrainian people are, are appalled by that and very hurt. And then they try to argue and prove things. And, you know, I think we've seen even uh, in the West and in the United States, you know, how politics divide people and how... Mm-hmm media can brainwash people and and how people believe things so easily and so so you know we have we have been greatly affected by that and there's been a lot of a lot of division amongst uh, the people ukrainian christians are demanding from russian christians to go out and demonstrate protest to to speak against the war to speak against vladimir putin but you know in, in russia they just passed a law where if you speak against the government, or even if you call this, you know, in Russia, they call this a special operation. They, yeah. It's forbidden to call this a war. Uh, yeah. So if you do that, you, you can be prosecuted and get a sentence up to 15 years in prison. Yeah. And so, uh, so people there are afraid. And I think there's going to be a, a big fallout for the Christians in Russia as well, who are not, you know, Orthodox, who have some connections with, uh, you know, uh, protestant organizations in the west and things like that so they're afraid and and um unfortunately there's been a lot of judging back and forth going on back and forth and uh not a lot of graciousness and kindness yeah yeah well nick in in some of the texts that you and i exchanged leading up to this interview you said that as 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 horrible as all of this is you have had it has presented some opportunities for you in, in furtherance of the gospel. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What's been going on in those I respects? Think the, the positive encouraging thing is that I think the churches have rallied together to really put, uh, put Christ's uh, character on display of love and service. And so there's, and not just Christians in Ukraine, but just even in the surrounding countries and even, you know, uh, Christians around the world are praying for us. Uh, sending their support in any way that they can. So that, you know, that's been very, very encouraging. And uh, speaking from, you know, our experience, what, what's what been going on here, we had the opportunity, you know, to share the gospel with people who I guess are more open to talk about spiritual things in light of, you know, death that they see and, yeah. and, and, and their anxiety and fear and things like that. So, so we can sh- just share gospel on the streets and uh, we have some humanitarian aid that we have received from our brothers and sisters in Germany. And so we are giving out some food and, and, and some supplies and things like that. And we're giving out gospel tracts and we're inviting people to church. And just Amen. last Sunday we had three people, three people come to the church and, and hear the gospel and, and have some good conversations and, and things like that. So, and, and, you know, that's going on everywhere. Um, I think the church is really trying to use this as an opportunity to point the people who are desperately seeking peace toward the Prince of Peace. Yeah. So. Indeed. Well, you know, Romans eight twenty eight, it doesn't say that all things are good because all things are not good, but God in his providence does work out 
all those things that in and of themselves are not good together for the good. Yeah. And um, you said that in one of your texts, you said that you've had some refugees um, in your, in your church and you've been able to. Yeah. So in our church, you know, we have, uh, our church is adjacent to our seminary. And so we have uh, some um, uh, like places where we house students while they're in session. And so we've converted that a little bit into places where, refugees who are fleeing places where the most severe battles are raging you know we would house them for a few days and feed them and and then help them send them off on their way to wherever they're going yeah so you know we've we've had good you know we had a a good opportunity to share the gospel with them in a group setting and as well in in a personal setting and uh, at least the people that we've spoken with a lot of them are, you know, very Eastern Orthodox or works works oriented in their yeah. thinking, yeah. Uh, in their relationship with God. So we try to explain to them, you know, that no one is justified by works. It's only by faith, by God's mm. grace in Christ alone. And uh, so, so, you know, we try to give them out our contacts and encourage them if you have any more questions or, you know, you want, you need any help. We have brothers and sisters all over the world that can help. And so they seemed very appreciative, very open. Um, so hopefully, Good. you know, some gospel seeds have been uh, sown and, you know, it's up to God to, to save those whom he has chosen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, um, so, so Nick, I, I guess you're, you've still got power. You've, uh, with, with so many people that have fled, are the, are the stores still open? I mean, can you go to the grocery store? I mean, you're obviously getting food and water, but how, how is, how is that working? So in the first few days, uh, obviously the infrastructure was overwhelmed and there are severe shortages of food, gas, you know, there's uh, no money in ATMs and Hmm. a lot of the banks have like um, canceled credit cards or, or, you know, did not allow people to buy, use credit cards and, and things like that. So, but in a few days, it kind of stabilized a little bit and stores were able to get, you know, necessity products that are necessary. And now, you know, more and more stores are opening more and some businesses are opening. There's no big lines in pharmacies anymore before, you know, there's lines everywhere and yeah. things like that, but you still were able, we still, by God's grace, you know, we still had everything that we needed. We need, we had food, we had electricity, we had water, we had running water. So in Kiev, you know, nothing was disrupted, but, uh, you know, in cities that were affected by the fighting directly, like we have a brother in Chernigov. I think you actually went to his church, Igor. Yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. So, so Chernigov is on the way to Kiev from, from the Northern part. And it has been, there's artillery and airstrikes on the city nonstop for almost two weeks half of the city has been destroyed igor and his wife uh, have spent more than a week in their cellar you know the makeshift bomb shelter yeah uh, without running water electricity you know or anything like that and uh, uh, igor's brother-in-law got killed in one of the airstrikes um So that city has been really, you know, I mean, those people have gone through some really, really uh, traumatic, uh, traumatic, uh, traumatic days. And so just a few days ago, Igor was able to evacuate from there. Um, and so he came in with his family, with his wife and two daughters, and they're staying with us at our church. 
and kind of like at first when they came, you could tell that they've gone through something very, very difficult, but oh my goodness, they were able to recover a little bit, you know, take a hot shower for the first time in two weeks and, and sleep without, you know, being bombarded. Yeah. Okay. So he's, he's up near you now. Igor and his yeah, wife. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I sure did go to his church. Um, just a, a precious, precious man and his wife, both sweet, sweet yeah. folks. Yeah. He stayed there as long as he could. And, you know, their church uh, in the beginning, their church was hit by like a rocket. And so the roof kind of collapsed on, on, a, on some, mm. but they, they were still able to have services there. And, you know, they, they, they're, they're being faithful. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, why do you think, uh, I know we're kind of bouncing back from the physical to the spiritual here, but why, when, when the war started, uh, I, I didn't expect Putin and the Russian forces uh, to attack civilians. I figured he would want to at least to try to keep some kind of a modicum of, you know, whatever semblance of goodwill with the rest of the world that he could and not attack civilians. But but they're shelling apartment buildings and hospitals and churches and they're murdering people in the streets. Why are they doing this? Yeah. I mean, who knows? It seems like initially what the plan was, was to take Ukraine in three days, that the operation was going to last three days. Basically, I think he thought it was going to be the same scenario as Crimea, which was had a lot of ethnic Russian population. And during the time of political instability, Russia came in and really without any fighting uh, was able to take over that part of the country. And as far as I understand, Russia has been doing a lot of work with some politicians and and, in, and spending a lot of money in trying to um, invoke pro-Russian tendencies uh, in, in our society and, and you know turn people against the West and things like that. And so I think Putin's advisors or his you know intelligence officers or whoever they were, because I know that there's been a lot of them who are fired uh, or in prison even now, uh, claimed that Ukraine is ready to be taken and people will welcome the Russian soldiers as liberators. You know, and and basically the Ukrainian army is very weak and is not able to resist and things like that. So it was a severe miscalculation on his part. I guess. Um, And so it seems like the first few days, you know, they couldn't believe what was happening. And the Ukrainian people, you know, we were, I could tell the first few days we were laughing and smiling that, you know, these Russian troops are coming and, and, you know, they get lost and they run out of fuel and, and they don't know what they're doing. And so we're like, Hey, you know, do you want us to show you your way back to Russia? Yeah. I saw some of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so um, then, you know, as the war continued and it seemed like uh, the Russian command, they really didn't know what they're doing and they're pushing people just to be slaughtered, you know, by the Ukrainian army who, to the surprise of the entire world, was able to put up a good fight. And, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, military aid from European countries, you know, anti-tank uh, missiles and, you know, things like that. And Ukrainian army has been getting a lot of training and preparing for this since 2014. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of the guys have been fighting in the East and things like that. So it's not the same army that we used to have. So they're able to put up uh, severe resistance and not really allow Russia to advance too much. 
there's only been one area where they've seemed to have advanced and, uh, you know, took over a region in the, in the southern part of the country. But they haven't really, you know, they have not gained any of the tactical advantages that they're hoping for. And as I think as the frustration of the Russian army was building up as they were losing thousands and thousands of troops, I mean, they've lost more troops in the first two weeks of the war than the United States lost in Iraq and Afghanistan in 20 years. Yeah. So the the casualties are so severe. And uh, there's, you know, I think as frustration was mounting and the Ukrainians were not giving up, the Ukrainian army was not giving up. They wanted to use like the scare tactic of shooting at some civilian uh, buildings. You know, it wasn't as widespread as as it is now. So they first started, you know, to, to try to, I think, frighten or, or you know, make uh, make the army retreat or something like that. But that didn't happen. And so eventually in time, it, it just became indiscriminate bombing of, like you said, uh, civilian population, maternity hospitals. And if you listen to the Russian officials, you know, they maintain that anything that has been attacked has been attacked uh, for a good reason. Uh, all of those objects are military objects or objects that the Ukrainian army is using to put their artillery or troops or things like that. And if there's any images of civilians getting hurt or, you know, like the in Mariupol, the maternity hospital with pregnant women, you know, bleeding and dying. Yeah. They said that it was all staged and it's Ukrainian propaganda. And so, so you know, obviously they're, they're spreading their deception and uh, putting out all these lies. But, I mean, when it's so widespread, when it's so yeah. clear and yeah. obvious what's going on, the, the world looks at it and is, you know, shocked. And, and thankfully, you know, there's been a lot of uh, a, a good responses against Russia and that these economic sanctions and all these oligarchs not being able to access their money uh, abroad, which I think ha- is contributing to the fact that Russia is kind of scaling down. Uh, because at this point, there is a no win. This is a no win war for Russia, not no win yeah. for Putin. There's absolutely no scenario in which he will be able to claim any sort of victory. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is kind of the scary thing because you, you see logistically that he just he can't he can't occupy Ukraine and control it militarily. He just can't do it. And yet he continues the fight, continues the battle, the attacks. And so it, it makes you wonder what a, a man who is so detached from reality uh, will do in desperation to save face. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, since he threatened the world with using nuclear weapons, you know, that I guess people have been yeah. discussing it, and they're still talking about the um, possibility of him using a tactical, you know, nuclear weapon yeah. on Kiev or something like that. So, but hopefully, hopefully, you know, you know, he can give the order, but the people, you know, it needs to go through the chain of command, and then yeah. people will just not not do that because that is you know that is madness and that is you know self yeah extinction yeah 
So, yeah, but it seems like at this point, uh, the situation is going to be that they're just going to focus on those areas that they have sort of been trying to uh, occupy since 2014 in the eastern part, the so-called Donbass region with Donetsk and Lugansk and in the yeah. in the in the south near Crimea. Uh, I think it's going to shift there and we'll see what's going to happen, whether Ukraine will agree i think what it is now is that ukraine is not going to try and take those territories back by force so what ukraine wants is a ceasefire and a withdrawal of the ukrainian troops from the ukrainian territory and then they would want to diplomatically negotiate the status of those regions yeah okay yeah actually the audio was better when you kind of leaned up there a little bit nick i, I could oh. hear you a little bit better if you don't mind <laughs> okay 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 sorry no problem oh, that, that's okay that's okay um yeah I'm, I'm glad you made the point a little bit ago a few minutes ago that uh, uh not even all of the russian soldiers are committed to this there some of them are trying to help the ukrainian people some of them are are apparently sabotaging their own equipment i've heard reports mm -hmm. of some Russian soldiers uh, killing their own commanders, you know, because mm -hmm. they're just, yeah, they there don't reports of that, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's important that people understand that not, you know, not all Russians are, are supportive of this. Um, Putin is a wicked, wicked man, but not all Russian people are supportive of this. There are, there are, we have brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia as well. Um, when they, um, how is Greg White doing? Are, are you still in touch with Greg and the folks? Yeah, there? so Greg, you know, he stayed and we're serving uh, alongside each other at the church. Yeah, um, good. So uh, as far as I know, the other missionary family is still in Ukraine from Grace Community. So they're serving in, in, in their place. And so, yeah, so Greg, Greg and his wife have been serving faithfully at our church uh, and coordinating uh, aid and things like that coming in from, from our brothers and sisters in other countries. And, and so, so by God's grace, we're all doing well and trying to do the best that we can in the circumstances to be faithful. So you're still having church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. There was one time when we were not able to have church in the very beginning, the first week of the war, they implemented out of the blue, this um, curfew. Uh -huh. For several days, no one was allowed to leave uh, leave the uh, leave their homes and go outside, and that was like over the weekend. So we were kind of caught uh, off guard with that. But then the next time when they did that, we agreed that we would all come and stay at the church and live, you know, live for for the few days that the curfew was. Yeah, be at the church and spend that time together in prayer and and in God's yeah. word. So, so after that, our services have not really been disrupted. Okay. Okay. And in, in Ukraine, you know, um, the spiritual climate overall in Europe is, is very dark. There's not a lot of Christians percentage wise. Of course, there's not a lot of true Christians percentage wise in this country, but, but generally speaking, Europe is pretty dark spiritually, but Ukraine is one of the more Christian countries, maybe the most Christian country in Europe. Is that correct? correct. Well, they say that Ukraine and Romania put together have more evangelical Christians than all of Western Europe and Russia put together. Wow. So, so, but even then, you know, like the population of Ukraine is around 40 million people 
And by the most generous estimates, there are about 2% evangelical Christians in Ukraine. So that makes yeah. for what, 800,000 800, people. And that's a very generous you yeah. know, estimate with any, any, all groups, all Protestant evangelical groups. Right. So, but yeah, compared to, compared to some of the countries uh, in Western Europe and even in Russia, Ukraine is considered to be the Bible belt of Europe. So, yeah. 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 So hopefully, you know, some of some of this God will use for people who are fleeing and even maybe going to the West to to start new churches there and, and ministries yeah. and things like that. So. That's true. I mean, that's exactly where I was about to head with that. Is is as horrible as all of this is. Some a lot of genuine believers are leaving Ukraine and they're going to other European countries, Poland and whatnot, and they'll um, take the gospel with them, of course. And, um, in fact, do you remember Manny? Uh, did you know Manny? He's a man that I met when I was there with you a few years ago. Um, I, I think he's originally from Iran. And he's, yes, yes, yes. You remember? Okay. Well, I've been in touch with him a little bit, and he's managed to get good, out. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. He's uh, he's been a student uh, at our school actually. Uh, after he left, we started a program, and he's been a student, and he's been faithfully ministering in. Uh, in different places around the world. I'm not sure if he wants me to name these places, but, you know, he's been trying okay. to minister to uh, Persian Persians in yes. different places and things like that. And so, so yeah, dear yeah. brother. And uh, I know that wherever he goes, he will continue ministering. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Indeed. Well, Nick, there, I, there had to have been times where you have, have you been, there's has there been times when you've been fearful afraid i mean it's when you hear explosions going off around you and you're not you don't know where the next one is going to be is it has it been scary for you um yeah i mean of course uh, i don't think anyone is prepared for this and you know yeah. uh, sometimes these explosions are so close that you feel your insights you know jumping up and things like really? that but yeah. yeah so so sometimes when you know you're just having conversations i remember one time when we had the refugees in our church on sunday morning and i think mr white was preaching greg was preaching and i was translating for him and there was an explosion really close and all of us kind of like jolted and especially them you could see because they you know they had non-stop bombardment for, yeah you know so they were like whoa so yeah so of course um you have you know those kinds of feelings um but i don't know i mean honestly i feel like humanly speaking you would be in a hopeless situation and it would be very difficult for you not to be depressed but as believers um you know we believe like you you said in romans 8 that um god knows best what's for us and all things uh work together for good to those who are called and those who love god and and so um so I just, right before the war started, the day before the war started in our school, we had chapel and I was preaching from second Corinthians chapter four, verses 16 through 18, mm. you know, where Paul says that we don't lose heart because, yeah. you know, our outer man is decaying, but the inner man is being renewed when yeah. we look not at the visible, but the invisible and these light temporary afflictions, you know, they produce an eternal weight of glory. And I, you know, because everybody was kind of afraid, rumors of wars and things like that, not sure what's going to happen. And I was just trying to encourage the people that, you know, uh, we have to have the right perspective. And, 
Um, by God's grace, I feel like at least people, with people in our church, uh, we've been able to encourage them and help them understand that ultimately, you know, we are citizens of heaven and God has prepared a home for us there. And that is truly our home. That's where we, we will be with him. And, um, you know, the most important thing uh, for us on earth is to be faithful to the Lord and everything and be faithful to the end. And so, so by God's grace, you know, we found a lot of encouragement in, in God's word. And I said in the book of Psalms and other passages that talk about God being our refuge. And, you know, Jesus said for us not to be afraid of those who can only kill the body, but to be afraid of the one who can, you know, just yeah. destroy the soul yeah. in hell. And so, so by God's grace, I, I feel like, you know, um, I don't want to act like I'm so brave or courageous because I'm not, but I feel, I feel like God's spirit has been ministering to me and to others in our church away and, and helping us not to lose heart and have this, you know, heavenly perspective on the situation. Yeah, indeed, brother. Well, Nick, um, my prayers and the prayers of many, many others are with you and the other brothers and sisters there in Ukraine. Um, yeah, I think I, I should mention that that has also been a bit, big factor that God has been using to encourage us because there's been such an outpouring of care and love and, uh, you know, everyone is praying for us and God is really using the prayers uh, of, of his people to, to strengthen us a lot. Amen. So thank you. Thank you so much. We really, really do appreciate it. Amen, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a privilege to be able to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in different parts of the world because we're family, right? I mean, you, yes, of course you are my brother and, um, of course. Yep. We are family. Um, Nick, aside from prayer, is there, what can we do in a more tangible way? I know there's a lot of people watching right now and they think, what, what can I do? How can I help in a tangible way? Is there anything we can do? Well, I know that Grace Community Church has set up a page on their website, gracechurch.org, to give to Ukraine, you know, financially. And uh, that's probably the easiest way logistically, you know, with all of the things involved to, okay. to, to give money uh, towards what we're doing here. By God's grace, so far, we've God has supplied all of our needs and we're able to help the needs of others. But, you know, I don't know, this, this situation can change at any point, you know, if a rocket hits, you know, our church or our seminary building or, yeah. or something like that, we're praying for that not to happen, but yeah. there's going to be a lot for years to come, you know, there's going to be consequences and need oh, yeah. uh, in Ukraine. But as of now, uh, you know, by God's grace, we have everything and, and we've been getting, you know, help and finances and we're able to buy, you know, food and and whatever we need and just power generators, gasoline, send it to, you know, we have a network of students uh, and some of them are in those areas that have been occupied by Russia and places like Bucha. Uh, and, you know, mm. they're there without food or water for almost a month. And, and we're trying to, you know, help them out as well. So, um, you know, if, yeah. uh, if anyone has a desire to help in that way, it would be greatly appreciated and it would go to, to the cause of Christ and to the hands of faithful ministers of the gospel who, 
who who remain uh, with their people and their local churches and are trying to reach out to their communities. Amen. Amen, brother. Okay. We certainly will. I will put the link down below there in the description so people can donate to that. And uh, my ministry will do so as well. So, um, yeah, brother, um, I love you. And thank you for your friendship. Thank you for being one of the best translators I've ever had. I just really, it was a joy to to work with you a few years ago. And uh, I would so love to have that opportunity again one day, Lord willing. Yes. Thank you so much. It's always a privilege to translate for you. Uh, and uh, I really hope that this madness will stop soon and we'll have many opportunities to serve alongside each other. Uh, and uh, yeah, we look forward to you coming back. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you. Brother. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, dear ones. Well, I hope that that interview was helpful for you. It was an encouragement to you. It certainly was to me uh, to be in touch with Nick. So do pray for Nick and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine, uh, many of whom are being dispersed abroad to other countries. They're going into Poland. They're going into Romania. They're going into Hungary and all these all these um, European countries. And some of these are believers, and they are taking the gospel with them. Uh, to these other countries who are not um, are not as evangelized as is Ukraine. So even in this, uh, God is is working out His perfect plan. So okay, thank you. Until our next time together. Oh, and the link down below in the description if you would like to help in a more tangible way. I'll provide that down in the description so you can link there. So until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.